If you would turn in your scriptures to Exodus chapter 1, Exodus chapter 1, uh, if you are here and you're a guest with us, we want, again want to welcome you. Uh, what we typically do uh, here is, uh, at Park is open up a passage of God's Word and, a, um, and study the text of, of Scripture and apply it to our lives. Uh, today, uh, being it is Sanctity of Life uh, Sunday, um, I have vowed as long as there is uh, breath in my lungs uh, that the Lord will give me an opportunity to preach uh, this uh, sermon uh, on being the importance of being pro-life uh, until the Lord um, overturns uh, the laws of this land. Uh, so this morning's message might be a little bit different than the typical message, uh, but I pray it is encouraging uh, and edifying uh, to your souls. Well, let me read uh, Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 uh, through 22. Uh, I'll read the passage of Scripture, then I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, The people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah and the other Puah, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son... You shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Let's pray. Father, it is an honor to bow before you now. You are a holy, gracious, and mighty God. Father, we thank you that we can approach you um, for grace and mercy in our time of need. God, we thank you that you listen to our prayers. So God, we we come before you now um, just begging your blessing um, upon this, this day. God, we ask that you bless us as we listen and hear your word. Father, As we come into your presence, we are reminded of our own sinfulness. Uh, God, I am reminded of my own sinfulness. Um, Father, especially when we think about the issue uh, of our our day uh, of abortion, God. Uh, God, I pray that we would be a people who are just aware of how little we have done. God, that we would repent of our sin. God, that we would not um, live as if this was happening. This was not happening, Lord. 
that we would be ever aware, that we'd be present, understanding uh, that we have been raised up for a time such as this. So God, forgive us of our forgetfulness. Uh, forgive us of our, um, of our sin, of not paying attention to what's happening in our world. Uh, God, I pray that you would move our hearts uh, to obedience, that we would speak and, and speak for life. God, we pray uh, for all pastors across this land who are preaching, God, that the Word of God is powerful. God, we believe that the Word of God can change the hearts and minds of men and women. So God, we pray today in this land that you would change the hearts and the minds of your people. God, I pray, Lord, that as the Word goes forth throughout our country, that people's minds and hearts would be changed in the power of the gospel. God, that they would come to you in faith and believe, Lord. They would choose life, God. God, we do pray, Lord. You pray that you would be merciful, that you'd be merciful on the children of our country, God. That you would allow us to be a people that care for them. God, that we would be the voice for those who have no voice, that we would care for the unborn. So God, I pray that you would overturn the wicked laws of our land. God, we pray that people would be raised up, even from this congregation, Lord, to be a voice, to be a voice to speak against the ills of our day. God, use your word today across our land in power. God, we pray, even this morning as a brother of our own congregation, uh, Robert Deaton preaches uh, over in Clover this morning. God, we pray that you would uh, bless uh, him, uh, bless Courtney and the children as they serve uh, that body of believers this morning. So God, we pray for our own hearts now as we turn to hear your word. God, I pray that I would uh, be bold to say uh, what is in your word and nothing else. God, I pray that we would be a people that would respond in obedience Father, we pray that our hearts would be stirred, that our emotions would be stirred. God, we want to be a people that is conformed into the image of your Son, that we, God, would also uh, be willing to suffer, Lord, that we would be a people that would be willing to suffer like your Son, like Jesus Christ suffered and died, that we may also be glorified as he was glorified. So God, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Uh, God, I pray that you would um, bring yourself glory. Bring yourself glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved, 55 million. 55 million Americans have lost their life since 1973. 55 million children have been killed through the legal act of abortion. 55 million. That's almost six times the number of deaths in the Holocaust. That's an average of 1.2 million children killed every year, which is twice, which is twice as much as the next leasing cause of death of heart disease. Abortion is simply the greatest travesty in the history of our country. Over 55 million children have been aborted. 55 million sons and daughters have been killed. You know, the number doesn't seem real. But beloved, it is very 
real. If we don't understand that 55 million souls were killed, 55 million who bear the image of God, 55 million who are precious in the sight of God, if we don't understand that number, we will never be moved to action. Let the number become real. So we are motivated to act. But as we think about this topic, hear me, beloved, abortion is not the unforgivable sin. With the the number as high as 55 million, uh, there is no doubt men and women in this congregation who have been affected uh, by abortion, um, either yourselves or people that you know. The statistics show that one out of three women in America will have an abortion before they turn the age of 45. That means about 30% of women under the age of 35 had had an abortion. 30% of men have participated in the act of abortion. Abortion's reach is vast. So before we go any further, we all need to take a moment and stop and know that our God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The sin of abortion is not outside the grace of Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ died to pay for all of your sin. The past, the present, and the future. Jesus Christ has died to pay for the sins that you have a hard time forgiving yourselves of or forgiving in others. Even those sins are forgiven in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why we say, my God, how great thou art. So this morning I pray that you allow the the fountain of God's grace to cover you. I pray that you would understand um, that there is room at the cross for you this morning. We know that the sin of abortion is not the unforgivable sin because Jesus himself, when he was being killed and crucified, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There was room at the cross for you this morning. So this morning, we're going to look at the power of the mind. Um, it's hard to underestimate the power of our own thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and to take every thought and make it captive to Christ. Where we set our minds is of utmost importance. It has the power to destroy strongholds and arguments and lofty opinions that are against the knowledge of God. For those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who set their minds on the Spirit set their mind, um, is, have put their mind on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. So I imagine gathered here this morning, there's people from every different variety of the political spectrum. But beloved, this is not a primarily political conversation. This is a biblical and a moral one. So this morning, I pray as we gather that we would set our minds on the things of God. For if we do not set our minds on the things of the Lord, we set our minds on the flesh, which leads to death. This is our first point this morning. If you want to follow along in the bulletin provided for you, just flip on the back. 
The mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the flesh is death. Look back with me in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now we remember how God used Joseph to help Egypt during the famine by interpreting, by interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh. Joseph was eventually promoted to run the whole Egyptian kingdom under Pharaoh. So Pharaoh allowed Joseph to bring his family to Egypt under the Pharaoh's blessing. But we see here a new king arose over Egypt that did not know Joseph. And in not knowing Joseph, it did not know of Joseph's God. It did not know how God graciously, through Joseph, rescued the people of Egypt. So we see a ruler who has his mind set not on the things of God, but on the things of the flesh. Watch the result of a mind focused on the things of the flesh. Verse 9, And Pharaoh said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. See, Pharaoh's mind was fixed on self preservation. He wanted to preserve his kingdom and his rule. The people of Israel were growing in number, but they were living peacefully with the Egyptians. They were no immediate threat. Pharaoh saw the numbers, not as a blessing, but as a threat. And as his worry grew and grew, he would turn um, from peaceful living with the Israelites to war and fight against them. So in order to preserve his kingdom and the lifestyle of his people, he changed his relationship toward the Israelites. He began to oppress them. And as he oppressed them, the Israelites continued to grow and expand throughout the kingdom. Look at verse 12. It says the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So why were the Egyptians in dread of the people of Israel? Of Israel. They were afraid that there was going to be a change in their lifestyle. Now, can't we relate to that? Isn't there a lot of anxiety when things happen in our own life, when our lifestyle, our comfort is going to be changed? So we are worried about a doctor's diagnosis, wondering and thinking and being worried, how is this going to affect my lifestyle? Am I able to do the things I, I used to do? Or you get a new, new boss at work. Uh, your company may get bought out and you worry and you, you struggle with anxiety. What's going to happen? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose the, the comfort of the lifestyle that I now have? Or those of you who have children leaving the house or going off to college, you're concerned. How is them, is them leaving going to affect our relationship, our current lifestyle, our current comfort in our relationship? Beloved, that's natural. But it's the mind that is set on the flesh. Because the reason why we sing, because he lives, because we know who holds our future. 
The reason why we all fear is gone because we are arresting ourselves in God Almighty. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now we know we all have agendas and wants for our own life, but the, but the Lord is the sovereign ruler of all history. When our minds are fixated on the changes that are going to affect our, our, our circumstances, we're not putting our trust in God. We're putting our trust in fear and worry, which leads to death. But we know, even some of you talked about this morning, when we suffer, God uses that. Romans 5.2 says, We know that our, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope will not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. See, the Egyptians were living in dread of the future. What is going to happen? See, we are called to live by faith in our loving and gracious Heavenly Father. God has a purpose in our trials. So we see that the mindset of the flesh produces this fear in the Egyptians. And this fear allows them to treat ruthlessly with the Israelites. You see how it grows? It turns from peaceful living to them being treated as servants and then servants being treated as as slaves. When we focus our minds on the things of this world, on the flesh, it only grows like a snowball. And we see it here. As the Pharaoh and the Egyptians grew in fear, their minds were continued to focus on self-preservation. Look what happens in verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Puah, when you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, you shall let let her live. They were so focused on self-preservation, so afraid of the future, they say, listen, they may rise up against us. If they rise up against us, here's what we must do. We must kill all the future warriors who are going to fight against us. They must be slaughtered. So the king ordered the midwives to kill all the male children to preserve the kingdom of Egypt. So you see how the mind that is set in the flesh, if you allow it to go there, it will produce death. It may not produce death right away, but that is the trajectory. That's where it is focused. See, the fleshly mind perverts truth. And it makes decisions not for the good of others, but for the good of self. Pharaoh's fear drove him to enslave the Israelite people eventually to seek their destruction. Hear me, fear leads to self-preservation. A fear-driven self-preservation is one of the leading causes given for abortion. In 2004, researchers at the Gutmaker Institute, a pro-abortion organization, asked over a thousand women why they obtained abortions. 74% of the women responded with, having a baby would dramatically change my life. And while 73% said, I just can't afford a baby now. The two most prominent reasons given of why these women had an abortion were to preserve one's current lifestyle. 
My life will dramatically change. I'm not financially stable. The fear of what will happen in the future caused them to make decisions to, to exalt themselves in the, in the present. The idea of self-preservation is not only seen in women. Many men encourage their partner to have an abortion because they do not want to take responsibility for the child. Listen to Phil McCombs, a post-abortive father and a writer for the Washington Post. He says this, I feel like a murderer. I was not by her side to support her. I turned my face away. My behavior was in all respects craven and immoral. The child would have inconvenienced me. I had my fun. He didn't fit into my plans. His name, which is carved on my heart, was Thomas. I still grieve for little Thomas. It is an ocean of grief. Now listen to Jeff Bradford, who didn't fight to preserve his lifestyle, but his reputation. What will people think of me if they find out that I have a child out of wedlock? He says this, I hid and suppressed the realization that the only reason our oldest daughter was not alive today was due to my own cowardice. I went to my wedding pretending to be an upright and moral young man with my bride dressed all in white. She was beautiful, and we looked great on the outside. No one could see the brokenness we were both hiding so well. We had aborted our first child just a few months before. I'm not going to stand here and say that I understand all the reasons uh, that, that women have and men have uh, to go through uh, with abortions. Uh, it's impossible to know what brings people to uh, make decisions to end a life. The mind is very powerful. And we know that when it is set on the flesh, it will bring death. The flesh blinds the truth. Beloved, this is the testimony of Scripture. Our culture perverts truth because the mind of our culture is set on the flesh. Our culture encourages people to fight to save their own lives. But those who seek to save their own lives in the end will only lose it. For Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? This is the lie of our culture. Our culture focuses on our individual needs. The American message encourages us to do whatever we can to fulfill our individual dreams. And anything in the way of your individual dreams need to be removed. Whether it's a baby or whether it's somebody else. I mean, listen, watch commercials. Listen to what politicians say. The message that they're appealing is again and again to, to your own desires, how they want to meet your own desires. Fear and self-preservation are very powerful tools, but our greatest desires will never be met when we try to preserve our lives. That's the testimony of the Bible. We can only discover true joy, true happiness, true peace when we delight in the Lord. For when we delight in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. Now those on the other side 
of abortion, they realized this reality. They sought to save their life, only to lose it. The guilt, shame, regret, it's crippling to men and women who have had abortions. But by God's grace, He continues to call them, to call them to Himself, not, not, to, not to keep your own life, but to lose it for His sake. Lose your comfort. Lose your, your, your life for me. Set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace, which is our second point this morning. The mind set on the, fl- on the spirit is life. The mind set on the spirit is life. So hear me. The only way to change our culture is to turn people away to the, away from the fear of suffering and the fear of loss and losing their life to the fear of the Lord. Now we know, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But I think one of the reasons women pursue abortions and men encourage it is fear. Fear of change, fear of loss, fear of condemnation, fear of pain. And fear produces hopelessness. My life, I can't make it. I have to do this. My life will never be the same. When the fear grips them and overtakes them, it leads to hopelessness. And hopelessness leads to awful decisions. We must turn people to have the right kind of fear. The fear of the Lord. Look with me in Exodus 1.16 of the courage of two young women who demonstrated this kind of fear. The king had him in front. He said, when you see, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and set them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, they shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded and let the male children live. See, the women had a choice. They could choose to save their lives by obeying the highest authority in the land, by obeying the government. Or they could choose to lose their lives by obeying the highest authority in the universe. Even as we talked about last week, how Jesus was given all authority in heaven and on earth. These women made the right choice. They didn't seek to save their lives, but they chose to to lose their lives, to give their lives over to potential death, knowing that it was going to bring suffering. Knowing that, not knowing what the future may hold, but they were willing to, to risk it, to choose life. And this, in this way, the Hebrew midwives lived as an example, pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ laid down his life for his friends. He chose to die that others may live. And because Jesus obeyed the Father, God raised him from the dead. God showed favor to Jesus in the resurrection that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God honored Jesus in his willingness to die. And that if anyone would call upon the name of the Lord and turn from their sins to repent of their sins and trust in him, they may be saved. Anyone. Jesus chose to suffer and die so others could live. This is exactly what the Hebrew midwives did. They knew the cost, but they feared God. 
One of the reasons we don't speak on this issue because we are not willing to suffer. These midwives chose obedience, even in the face of death, so others could live. And look what happened. God honored it. Look at, listen to verse 18. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? Let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dwelt, dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. The very thing Pharaoh was concerned with was happening. He couldn't avoid it. The people multiplied and grew strong. Why? Because of the actions of two Hebrew midwives. They helped God's people grow. They made a decision that should cost them their lives. But God showed them favor and actually gave them the desires of their hearts. He gave them families. Now the arguments put forward from the pro-abortion side are centered on individualism and self-preservation. The world says the decision to keep or take the life of a child belongs to the woman or between the woman and her doctor. But, But beloved, we know all life belongs to God. For whether we live, we are the Lord's. Whether we die, we are the Lord's. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. It is not our right, we have no right to take life. As God's people, we must do everything we can for life. The reasons may be complex of why abortion happens, but it is always wrong. Choosing to keep a child will change one's life dramatically. It will bring financial hardships. It will cost. But God honors those who choose life, but brings judgment on those who murder. This is grounded in our faith in God. Our faith says that He exists, and God rewards those who believe in Him. Hebrews 11.6, without faith... It is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So we cannot please God if we don't acknowledge him, if we don't give thanks to him. And when we do not acknowledge him, we are given over to do things that are unspeakably awful, like the killing of unborn children. Romans 1.28, and since... They did not see fit to acknowledge God, believe that He exists. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They, are, they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. See, the only way to change the direction of our culture is to change their acknowledgement of God. We have to help them set their mind on the Spirit of God that they may have life. It's not enough to stand by the sidelines. By standing on the sidelines, we are giving approval. Romans 1.32 goes on to say, Though they know God's righteous decrees, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. There is no middle ground, church. 
We either fear God like the Hebrew midwives and choose life, or we choose to give approval to what God hates. And if we give approval to what God hates, the Bible says we are storing up for ourselves wrath. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgments will be revealed. But beloved, hear me. We can't help others find the spirit of life unless we ourselves, our minds, are focused on the spirit. How many of us may not have struggled with the sin of abortion, but we live with our minds set on the flesh. We neglect God's word. We neglect hearing uh, God's, God's word being preached. We neglect, we focus on, on television and fill ourselves with that. Beloved, we must be a people who've set our minds on the Spirit. Why? Because those who set their minds on the Spirit do what? Bring life and peace. As I, as I, as I was praying for today, knowing it's a controversial issue, knowing it's difficult, here's my prayer. Uh, my prayer is that the people of God here would be so filled with the Spirit that they would go and be advocates wherever you go for life. That we would be filled with boldness to speak truth. We'd be spilled with with grace and mercy. That your lives would be so infected by the Spirit of God that if someone had a child or was pregnant with a child outside of wedlock, they they would not go to you because they would fear condemnation, but they would go to you because you're filled with grace and mercy. That's the kind of people that we must be. The reason why the church is losing the argument is because we are not setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. We are not living a life set on the Spirit. We are not gracious and merciful people, but we are condemning and judgmental. Why would anyone go to us to hear our message if we are condemning and judgmental? Our God came in grace. We must do the same. Well, Verse 22, you see how it spirals. Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews shall be cast into the Nile. Instead of going just to these Hebrew women, he says to everybody, right, the whole nation, you see this progression. But even after the pronouncement that all male children should be killed, look what God does. Look at his mercy. In verse 2-1, it says, There came a man from the house of Levi and went to take his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. God gave a deliverer. God gave a deliverer who would rescue his people in Moses. Well, let me conclude with this. Quoting John Piper, who says it so well. I didn't want to, I couldn't do it better. He says this, in the very darkest season of the worst child killing, Moses was born. Moses, the deliverer. Moses, the rescuer, the savior of the people. And then the prophet, like Moses, the son of God, Jesus Christ, the final decisive rescuer, savior, deliverer, was born. Barely escaped the slaughter of babies in Bethlehem. He lived a perfect life and died for sinners and rose again. But here's one of the greatest differences between him and Moses. Moses delivered the people who were being oppressed. Jesus delivers the oppressed and the oppressors. Moses delivered the hated race. Jesus delivered the hated and the hater. Moses couldn't deliver strangled babies or babies thrown into the Nile. 
But Jesus delivers babies. He delivers mothers. He delivers abortion providers. He delivers irresponsible boyfriends. He loves and saves every sinner who trusts in him. So let us join our hands and say with a clear voice, as one in Christ, there is a better way to freedom than killing the babies. And that way is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I I just pray. I pray for these people. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, God, that we would not be people of fear, fearing suffering, fearing judgment, but God, that we'd be a people who fear God. God, I pray, I pray that you would use the people in this church as they share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of grace, God, that people would turn from fearing future suffering and turn to fear you. God, we pray that you would use this church to be tools of life. Help us set our mind on the Spirit and bring life and peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.